But Chelsea's actually a member here at New Life, but she also works on InterVarsity Christian Fellowship staff, uh, which is a whole big ministry globally to university students. Actually, Jerry and I used to work with InterVarsity 30 years ago. And Chelsea works at Columbia University and NYU with international students. So she's been in our church a number of years, been five years working with international students. And so uh, we're very pleased to have one of our own uh, bring a, you know, a fresh word today from Luke 14. So let's give a round of applause to Chelsea as uh, she comes. I'm dating someone. His name is Yu Chung, and I like him a lot. But when Yu Chung first invited me to go on a date with him over a year ago, there were a lot of reasons why I didn't want to go. First of all, he's kind of nerdy. Well, actually, he's really nerdy. He didn't dress very well or comb his hair. Plus, he talked about things that were way over my head. And then there's the whole complication about how we come from different cultural backgrounds. You see, Yu Chung's from China. I'm from California. We come from really different family backgrounds and cultural experiences. That seemed like it would be hard. And then there was the excuse that, you know, I was busy. I had goals to pursue and things to do. I didn't have time to pursue a relationship. But the biggest reason of all, the thing that I just couldn't get past was he was one of my former students. <laughs> Pete mentioned I'm on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, and I had known Yu Chung when he was a graduate student at Columbia for two years. What would people think if we were to start dating? That alone was enough for me to reject his invitation. But Yu Chung was persistent. Let me tell you, he was very persistent. And as I look back on this past year of dating that's been challenging but wonderful in a lot of ways, I can't help but think, you know, what if I had said no to that invitation? I would have missed out on something really great. In the past year, I've had the privilege of getting to know someone in a really unique way. I've been trusted with someone else's heart, and I've allowed myself to trust someone else with mine. I've seen Jesus reflected through another person in a way that's very different than how other people might see him reflected through me. I've experienced God's loving pursuit of me through Yu Chung. I've gone on some pretty fun dates. And I've come to think, you know, wow, Yu Chung is beautiful. Crazy hair and all. <laughs> My name is Chelsea Whitfield, and it's a great joy and an honor to be given the opportunity to share a word from the Lord with you this morning. This is our second week in a sermon series on the parables of Jesus and the surprising nature of the kingdom. And the story we're going to take a look at today is a story about a group of people who miss out on something great. The story, the parable of the great banquet found in Luke 14, is a story directed towards church people, like myself and most of us in this room. It's a warning that we, perhaps most of all, are in danger of missing out on the great feast 
that Jesus has prepared for everyone who will respond to his invitation. The invitation in our text today from Jesus is to come in and feast. Before we get into the text, let me pray for us. Jesus, every time that we come to your word, every time that we gather for worship is an opportunity for feasting. God, help us not to miss the feast. Jesus, I confess that it would be possible for me to preach this sermon today and miss out on feasting with you. I don't want to miss you, Jesus. We don't want to miss you. Thank you that you invite us to your banqueting table. I pray, God, that you would help us to taste and see what you have for us today. Amen. Our story takes place around a meal. Jesus is having a meal with a group of religious people at the home of a prominent Pharisee on the Sabbath day. And while they're eating, Jesus begins to notice how the guests have chosen for themselves places of honor at the table. And so he instructs them, when you're invited to a banquet, do not choose for yourself a place of honor in case someone more distinguished comes along. Then you'll be humiliated when your host asks you to move from your seat. Instead, take a seat at the foot of the table. That way, when your host sees you there, he'll invite you to come up to a better place. Likewise, when you host a party, don't invite your friends, your relatives, your rich neighbors who can repay you. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, and you will be blessed. It's in the context of this meal and this discussion on power and hospitality that our parable begins. Jesus sees these religious people are so concerned with status and appearing important that they're missing out on his great invitation. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. The master told his servant, go out to the roads, the country lanes, and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. 
come, for everything is now ready. Can you feel the sense of urgency surrounding this banquet? It's party time. This was not a last-minute invitation. Clearly, there was a period of careful preparation, and now the time had finally come for the party. The invitations had been sent out well in advance, and now the meal was ready to be served. The table had been set. The choice animal that had been selected for these guests specifically had been meticulously prepared. You can almost smell the aroma wafting from the kitchen. Maybe the furniture had been rearranged to make space for all who were to come, and special decorations hung in preparation for hosting. But to the man's great dismay, no one wanted to come. For Westerners reading this story, it's easy to miss the significance of what's happening here. I mean, bummer, but what's the big deal? I mean, things come up, right? I mean, isn't the man being a little harsh? It's important to understand how a banquet was put on and how invitations were extended in Middle Eastern culture. First, a man would send out his servant with an initial invitation to see who could come to the banquet. And the number of people who accepted the invitation would determine the amount of meat and which type of meat would be prepared. So if only a few people could come, a fowl would be served. If, say, 10 to 15 people could come, maybe the host might butcher a lamb. And if it was a particularly large gathering, the fatted calf would be killed and prepared for the occasion. Now, if someone accepted this initial invitation, it was expected that they would fulfill their commitment. The meal was prepared based on the good faith of these commitments, and once everything was arranged, a second invitation would be made to inform the expected guests that it was now time. For someone to break their commitment was insulting and unacceptable behavior in this cultural context. In an honor-shame context like this, you would be shaming your host by not coming. Your absence would publicly communicate that he is not as important to you as whatever reason you decided not to go. And now the table was set, the fatted calf was prepared, and no one would come. How can this be? How can this be when this was not the first, but the second invitation that had gone out? Was it unreasonable for the man to expect that his guests would come to the party? Of course not. In our Emotionally Healthy Relationships course here at New Life, we talk about four elements that make up a valid expectation. One, it was conscious. This man certainly knew he had the expectation that his guests would come to the party. Two, it was reasonable. It was reasonable to expect that the guests could come since they had plenty of advance notice. Three, it was communicated. The invitation had been sent out previously. And finally, four, it was agreed upon. We can assume that the guests RSVP'd to the original invitation, as was the custom for such meals to be prepared only after receiving confirmation from the guests. So what went wrong? The story lists three excuse makers, a sampling of a larger guest list, each 
with a puzzling excuse. The first guest gives the excuse that he's just bought a field and he must go inspect it. Now, let's think about this. Buying a piece of land is a major investment. No one buys a piece of land before going to check it out. I mean, that would be the equivalent of buying an apartment over the phone. Anyone who's even rented apartment in New York City knows that is a bad idea. We all know that an apartment listed as char- what apartment listed as charming means, no matter how good it looks on the Craigslist pictures. You would be a fool to put down that kind of money on a piece of property you haven't personally checked out. Plus, buying a field is not something that you decide on overnight. Did this person value finishing a business transaction over his relationship with the host? The second guest excuse is similar to the first. I've just bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go try them out. Five yoke of oxen? That's ten oxen! If this man is wealthy enough to purchase 10 oxen, he's wealthy enough to have workers to go try it out for him. He, too, is communicating that he does not value his relationship with the host. The third guest excuse is the most ridiculous of them all. I just got married, so I can't come. Really? Now, beyond the one-year exemption from military service after marriage, There were no such restrictions for newly married couples. This is an insufficient excuse for missing a banquet. Why would these guests make such excuses? I mean, even if these were legitimate things that had come up, surely they could attend to them on another day. This is a banquet we're talking about. The only reasonable conclusion is that these excuse makers were outright rejecting the man's invitation and intentionally snubbing him. Clearly, these initial invitees were people of means. They were used to being invited to banquets. Why wouldn't they be invited? But despite the man's persistence in inviting, each of these potential guests chooses to miss out. I can just imagine the servant walking back dejectedly and angrily to inform his master of the news. The banquet was ready, but no one would come. Now remember who Jesus is telling the story to. He's talking to the Pharisees who are literally sitting down to a feast with Jesus in that moment, yet are missing the feast right in front of them. They're in close proximity to Jesus, but their hearts are far from the feast. One of the Pharisees among the group exclaims, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now surely this man says this thinking he will be among that number. What must he think when Jesus tells a story of a cast of characters of similar social standing who do not get a taste of the feast? The reality is that Jesus has extended an invitation to all of us to come and feast with him, but many of us are missing out. A couple of weeks ago, I was in California for nine days to meet with ministry partners. These are people who financially and prayerfully support the work that I do with InterVarsity, and also to spend time with family. 
Now, this could have been a prime opportunity for me to enter into a feast with Jesus. Here I was having the opportunity to share all that God's been doing on campus, as well as to connect in meaningful ways with people who are important to me. But sadly, I missed out. I booked my schedule so full of appointments and family gatherings that halfway through the trip, I was exhausted. I'm an introvert, and so the way that I recharge is by being alone. And because I live a distance away from my family and only see them twice a year, the times that I'm home can be pretty packed. I have a pretty big family. I'm one of six siblings and have many extended relatives in the media area. And as much as I love spending time with my family, I didn't plan well to get the alone time that I needed. I felt like I was always with someone. I literally slept in the same bed as one of my sisters. And by day seven, I felt like I had hit my limit. Instead of enjoying the gift of being with my family, all I could think about was the amount of work that was waiting for me when I got back here to New York. To make matters worse, my laptop crashed. I had to go through the stress of getting a new hard drive and recovering all my data. I mean, talk about a lack of margin. Reflecting on my trip, I can see the way that I rejected Jesus' invitation to feast with him by failing to plan well. Maybe I could have scheduled fewer appointments. Maybe I could have excused myself from some family time in order to be more present when we were together. Maybe I could have given myself more margin in between the trip and other work responsibilities that were waiting for me when I got home. You know, it's crazy to think that I could be doing work for God and miss out on the feast. Why do we miss out on feasting with Jesus? Well, there are many reasons, but I'll just list a few. We choose to miss out because we think we're too busy. Instead of going through life proactively, we're reactive. We think that life's just happening to us. You know, it's like that episode of I Love Lucy when Lucy's working in a chocolate factory, just trying to keep up with all the chocolates that are coming out of the conveyor belt that need to be individually wrapped. And they just keep coming and coming and Lucy's just reacting and she starts stuffing the chocolates in her pocket and down her shirt and in her mouth and the chocolates don't even taste good anymore. She's just trying to survive and get the job done. (sighs) By choosing to go through life reactively, we miss out on the banquet. We choose to miss out because we'd rather follow the crowd. Soren Kierkegaard, the Danish theologian, said, anyone who follows the crowd is treasonous against God. Friends, the crowd's not going to the banquet. The crowd's looking to other things for their security and significance, their relationships, their careers, their stuff. And everyone's invited to the banquet, but it's a narrow path. And let me be clear, these things, relationships, careers, they're not bad things, but they're not the banquet. As someone who's in a dating relationship, no no matter how great it can be to be in a relationship, it's not possible for another person to meet all my needs We choose to miss out because we're more concerned with being blessed 
by God than by being with Jesus himself. We as church people can become so pious that we think we deserve to be at the banquet. We're like the elder brother in the parable of the prodigal son who in his younger brother returns home after a season of wild living and the father welcomes him home by killing the fatted calf. The elder brother's outraged. He says, hey, where's my party? To which the father replies, my son, don't you see that you've been with me all this time and everything that I have is yours? I wonder, where are you in this painting? Are you the elder brother who's so close to the feast but's missing it? Or maybe you're the younger son who's returning home. And finally, some of us miss out because, let's be real, we're not even thinking about the banquet. If I think why most people in New York City are missing out on the feast, it's because it's not even on their radar. It's like in the days of Noah before the flood when people are eating and drinking and marrying and they don't even know what's coming. You know, they're busy on Facebook and Instagram and they have no idea what they're missing. All of us, we have this incredible longing for something nothing in this world can satisfy. But most people in this city, they have no idea that they have been invited to a banquet. May we not just show up to the feast alone, but may we reflect the invitational nature of Jesus and bring someone along with us, no matter how inconvenient the invitation may be. Jesus doesn't want anything to get in the way of us coming to the banquet. It's his primary ambition to get us to the feast. But notice, the man did not compel the first group to change their minds. He let them go, and he chooses other people instead. When the master hears that the first group has chosen not to come to the banquet, he tells his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And don't just stop there. Go to the roads, the country lanes, bring in those people too. It's party time and my banquet will not go to waste. You see, the man prepared a banquet because he wanted to be with his guests. He delights in their company. It's not a networking occasion as many of the religious people often viewed such gatherings. It's a love occasion. Compel them to come in, the man urges. There's plenty of room. The table is open to anyone who will respond to my invitation. Imagine being among that second group that was invited. Who, me? would be my response. No one has ever invited me to a banquet. Why did the poor, the blind, the crippled, and the lame need to be compelled to come to the banquet? Well, maybe they didn't think they were worthy to be there. 
Maybe you're here in this room today and you're sitting in shame. Maybe you're caught in some addictive behavior or sin pattern that you just can't seem to break. Jesus is inviting you to come out of hiding and come to the feast. He's searching the alleys for you. He still has a seat at the table for you with your name on it. At the urging of the master's servant, this group gratefully accepts. What a contrast from the excuse makers who are too preoccupied with their new acquisitions and their desire to appear important. The servant continues to invite until he finds those who will respond to the master's invitation. The surprise of the parable is that those who are expected to attend never made it. Instead, those on the periphery were drawn in and given a place of honor at the feast. Jesus is not looking for important people to fill his banquet table. He's looking for those who will respond to his invitation to come in. Now, if the goal of our lives is to stay connected to Jesus, we've got to learn, how do I come into the banquet and live there? Friends, we've got to connect with Jesus. He's the feast. It's possible to RSVP for the banquet and never show up. We can come to church week after week and never come to the feast. We listen to a sermon and we're like, eh, I heard that one before. We go to Bible study and we're like, yeah, I know that. Heck, we could even serve in ministry and never get a taste of the banquet. The man said, come for everything is now ready. Not sometime in the distant future when Jesus returns, but the invitation to feast is today and tomorrow. It's a daily decision. Now, what does that look like? It looks like creating margin in our lives to be with Jesus. It's about showing up. Even when we think we don't have the time, show up. God's going to double the time. Why don't we take a moment right now just to listen to God and ask him, Jesus, what's one step What's one thing I could do this week to enter into a feast with you? Maybe that looks like creating space for silence and solitude, for meditating on scripture, for worship. Maybe it looks like experiencing God through community or times of rest. What's that one thing for you? Amen. You know, a very practical thing you could do this week is to sign up for the Feasting on Scripture course that's happening for the next two Wednesday nights. That would be an excellent way to enter into the feast with Jesus. Now, the beauty of being in the feast is when you're in the feast, nothing that the world throws your way 
can take that away from you. While I was in California, I got to spend time with my Aunt Cindy, who's suffering from stage four breast cancer. And for the past year and a half, she's been living in a small one-room apartment away from her home in the desert and her husband so that she can be near the hospital where she receives treatment. And when I asked her how she was doing without skipping a beat, she said, I have peace and joy and victory in the Lord. This woman is in the feast. And when you're in the feast, it's contagious. We have to be in the feast, rooted in the feast, if we're going to give the feast away. And if you're not, God loves you. He's coming after you. He's searching the alleys and the highways and the byways for you. He wants to share a meal with you. The invitation is simply to come. Come, for everything is now ready. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you invite us to feast with you. God, we don't want to miss out. I pray, Lord, that we would choose to come to the banquet. God, I sense that there are people here in this room that you're inviting to come to the feast for the first time. God, and still others of us are here and maybe we were at the feast at one point, but we've wandered, Lord. I pray, Lord, that we would choose to come home. Thank you, God, for your relentless pursuit of us and your extravagant hospitality. May we not just be hearers of the word, but we, we respond to your great invitation. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Why don't you just to pause as we close here? I want to just reread to you two verses from that great text from Luke 14. Uh, the servant comes back to the master and says, you know, they didn't come. And then the master says, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And then he says, well, I've done that. There's still room. And then he says, go out to the, the master says, go out to the roads and country lanes and m- compel them or make them come in so that my house will be full. I just, I'm just, just the love of Jesus. I mean, just that go out into the alleys and streets and like pull them in. And just the love of Jesus. I mean, God sent his son to die for us because he so loves us. He's got your name and he wants you in the banquet. I mean, we're all poor, crippled, blind, and lame. That's the only way you get into the banquet is you acknowledge that's who I am. And we live in that place of like, I'm broken and it's a miracle that I'm here at this banquet. And so we want to start this. You've never been to the banquet and never recognized that you're poor, crippled, blind, and lame. Today is your day. Come to the banquet. In fact, Walter teams come up there to your, to, your, to your right. But we want to invite you to, as we close to come forward. I mean, I never felt I was worthy to come to the banquet of Jesus. Because I knew my sin was so deep and great. And then when I realized, oh my gosh, it's free. It's free. 
And it really is for messed up people like me. And we are to live in that place that I am poor, crippled, blind, and lame. By the grace of God, I've been invited to this amazing banquet through the blood of Jesus. So we always live in wonder and amazement. That's number one. But as many of you know, it's easy to go to the banquet, enjoy Jesus, and then leave the banquet. In a sense, we live like we're not in the banquet, as Chelsea mentioned earlier. And we're dancing around Jesus, and you know we read the Bible, but we're, really not, we're not enjoying the banquet. <coughs> what I loved about her aunt's story was... Her aunt, even in the worst moment, cancer, she's living in a banquet. Do you understand if, if you and I can get the, the practice daily of living in the banquet, do you realize that no circumstance can pull you out? No trial, no disaster, no success can take that joy of Jesus away from you. close and I want to invite the prayer teams of the altar folks to come over to the Lord's table so this is a little feast the Lord's table is a little feast that prefigures the big feast so as we close I want to invite you to come and eat and drink of the feast but I especially want to talk to all of you in this room right now that you are not living in the feast that love of Jesus because today I want to invite you to repent and come back like the Christian life is constantly turning back to the banquet because we wander from his love all the time. Listen, I can be driving home today, get cut off by somebody on the LIE, which is very likely, and they sometimes show a finger towards me that's not a nice finger, and it can knock me out of the banquet because I'm angry, I'm upset, and I carry that, right? And, and I'm out of the banquet. I, I've, I've lost his love for me. So you understand, the Christian life is constantly turning around and, oh yeah, the banquet of Jesus and feasting on the person of Jesus. So that is the Christian life. And out of that, we live. Out of that, we move into the world. So if right now you're here and you've heard this wonderful word and you realize, oh my gosh, like I am not living in the joy of that banquet right now. I, I, I've i wandered from his love. Okay, I want to invite you to come forward uh, to prayer to my left, your right. And by coming forward, you understand it's an act of repentance, an act of turning. And God gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud we're humble ourselves, God just pours out his spirit on us. So remember, we're all poor, crippled, blind, and lame. We just don't all know it yet. And we forget. So I want to pray for you as we close. I invite you to put your hands, open your hands like this towards heaven. And just to receive it, kind of close your eyes. I'd like you to begin by just with your hand, palms open towards heaven. Just I'm open, Lord, to you. And God the Father is looking at you. And he's gazing at you. And he loves you. Do you understand? He sees you and knows you better than you know yourself. He knows every sin you've committed and even that you're going to commit. And he loves you without conditions. And his gaze is meant to go right into your heart and melt you. That you might trust him and surrender him. So may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. And may the Lord make his face shine on you. And may God pour out his love into your heart to overflowing now that it might melt every barrier that you may have set up that you might experience the forgiveness of sin that comes through Jesus 
and you might rise up this day and move into that banquet space with Christ and his joy might fill you to overflowing and the taste and spell of that banquet that you might carry it throughout your week wherever you go and uh, that Jesus aroma may come forth from your life to all those you touch. So we bless you this day here at New Life Fellowship in the name of Christ Jesus. Go forth in his name and everybody said amen. God bless you everybody. Have a wonderful day.